Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and I use she and they pronouns. And it's clearly been six months or so since this podcast has come out. The pandemic really kind of took it out of me. I live off grid and have had to spend a lot of my time uh, frantically, ironically preparing for making my off grid home my my everything. And I'm just now starting to get my shit together, and I'm really excited to come back with this podcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero network of anarchist podcasts, and here's a jingle from another podcast. Where did you get this? Your friendly neighborhood anarchist. <laughs> More of an anarchist militant. People involved in social struggles than everybody else. People have been waiting for some content. Radio. And show. The final straw, and I'm William Gooden. And I'm Percy Goodness. The final straw, radio.noblogs.org. If you're listening, you are the resistance. I am very happy to be joined uh, by Jack. Jack, do you want to introduce yourself, uh, your name, pronouns, any other affiliation you feel like mentioning? Sure. Uh, my name is Jack. My pronouns are they, them. Um, and I am Margaret's bandmate in Ulcerith. Uh, and I live in Montreal. Cool. Uh, so I'm. we're going to try this new format. I, I realized that I, you know, by the end of this last run of the podcast, I'd kind of stopped doing the podcast partly because I, I was having a lot of internet trouble and a lot of power trouble because of the apocalypse or my version of it in this cabin I live in in the woods. And then I realized that a lot of the stuff that I've been talking and want to research about would just be me talking. And so I'm hoping that more entertaining than just me talking is me explaining something to Jack and Jack asking questions and kind of half interviewing me about things. And if this if this format works on works out, we'll probably start kind of reversing it and make Jack explain some of the things that they know about, things like that. But so that for this first episode of this new style, I think we're going to talk about, I've been doing a lot of research for the past month, month and a half about protester PPE. I've been doing a lot of research about gas masks and goggles and helmets. And unfortunately, because of the hell world that we live in, some of my protest research is also about like body armor and ballistic protection and things like that. So I think that's mostly what we're going to talk about today. Um, <laughs> Jack, how much, how, in as much as you feel like, okay, so uh, I, I've done all this research about this stuff and I've been going to demonstrations for almost 20 years, but and I've been tear gassed and I've been around a lot of pepper spray and, you know, I've been uh, shot with some things by some police and, you know, been punched and whatever. I, I've, But I've never really bothered wearing much protection uh, when I go to demonstrations because I feel like the threat model has changed so dramatically so quickly. You know, I, I was used to this thing where like every now and then they were, I was around tear gas, you know, and so a wet bandana was, was more than enough. Um, I'm curious, Jack, if you have different experience or what your experience is about what gear you tend to wear to protests? Well, like I said, I, I live in Montreal now and I've lived here for about the last five years and um, Montreal police um, militarized really, really heavily during and after the 2012 student riots or, or student demonstrations. <laughs> um, and so 
the police here react with like a, a high amount of force to any kind of demo or march or anything like that. Um, but that said, like I didn't really used to wear a lot of uh, PPE to demos. I was kind of a, you know, a wet bandana, all black, loose clothes, good, good running shoes um, kind of person. And that's definitely changing now. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, I think about a lot is how so much of the time sort of our advantage, you know, our being like our team, the the anarchists or the the demonstrators in general has a lot to do with more to do with mobility and being able to outrun police and out outmaneuver police because we don't wait for orders from top down and things like that. And so I feel like so much of what people have worn traditionally focuses on that as our strength. Um, but it's, it's really interesting to watch how much that needs to change uh, depending on what level of force the police respond to with, you know, and, and whether you want to hold your ground and things like that. Um, yeah, that's, that's for sure. So I guess I'll, I'll talk with, first I'll start talking about like how to protect yourself from chemical weapons. Uh, at some point I'll probably do one of these things just specifically talking about impact weapons and maybe it'll come up during this thing, impact weapons, chemical weapons. I've, part of this research project I've been doing has me reading for hours. I've been reading like manufacturers statements about different types of baton rounds and things like that. Um, and I've spent a lot of my time like talking to engineers to try and figure out the ballistics of baton rounds versus beanbag rounds versus pellet pellets and, and things like that to try and figure out what is adequate to protect from what. And I can, I don't know, I, I, I literally don't know how much I should talk about all of those things. I'll probably do a specific episode just on, on the weapons they use, but I think I'll start with kind of more of the protection that we use. And so in terms of protecting yourself from chemical weapons, the primary thing that you're trying to do is keep the the chemicals out of your eyes and your lungs. It's also worth keeping it off your skin. And a lot of people have been starting to wear um, basically like, I forget the word for it, different skin tight clothing that you can wear that like people who ride bicycles and such wear in order to keep this chemical off of your skin. But the most important and immediate thing is to keep it out of your lungs and secondary to that, your eyes. So, as far as we can tell, there's four main ways to do that. The The easiest way is the wet bandana technique. Um, what chemical weapons are is particulate suspended in the air. It's not actually a gas. It's not actually a vapor. It's particulate matter. It's very small particulate matter. But so the primary thing that you're trying to do is keep that particulate matter from being breathed in, from breathing that particulate matter in. And a wet bandana is a particulate filter. If you wear a wet bandana, or even a dry bandana, but it's better with a wet bandana. If you wear it over your eyes and not your eyes, <laughs> if you blindfold yourself, I guess it would probably work. Um, if you if you wear a you know wet bandana over your nose and mouth and breathe through that, you're going to breathe in a lot less. And a dust mask like you might wear, you know, doing construction would also do a little bit of help. A, a surgical style mask, a COVID style mask, all of these things would do. They're a lot better than nothing, 
But for the most part, in my experience of wearing that kind of thing, you can smell the tear gas and it kind of, you know, you got to get out of the area. Um, Jack, what's your opinion on like lemon juice and vinegar and all of these other things that people soak bandanas with? I think a lot of people, or I know a lot of people that go the apple cider vinegar, uh, mm-hmm. tried tested and true route. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, having a, a handkerchief soaked in in ACV on my face for like a long amount of time uh, makes me want to barf. <laughs> um, so it's not my favorite uh, thing, and and I I don't have any scientific data on whether it's. Um, better or or worse or more effective or less effective so as far as i can tell there isn't any scientific data on it there is (laughs) a lot of anecdotes and there are like both from both sides uh you know protesters i've been saying that the one of the most important traditions is arguing about whether lemon juice or apple cider vinegar or any kind of acidic liquid is better than water for your for your mask and you know, because I know so many people who swear by it. And I've I've had an apple cider vinegar bandana and a Ziploc bag in my back pocket before. And I just don't put it on because I don't want to. <laughs> because who wants to put that on? And as far as I can tell, I I don't think it does anything. Um overall, these gases tend to be acidic anyway, so I'm not entirely sure by what method they would be neutralizing it. I don't know if it's like somehow creates a better particulate filter. I, yeah, as far as I can tell, it just, uh, it's a, I think it's likely to be a myth. I mean, it's still more effective than a dry bandana because it's wet. And so it traps more particulates. Right. Yeah. I'm not a scientist, so I, I can't say whether, uh, you know, there's a scientific reason for that. Um, but uh, you know, you're the girl with the research. So I trust you on this one. Yeah. I mean, and again, like my research is I can't find anything that claims <laughs> why it would work. You know, I have, and there's been no, there appear to have been no studies. There's one book written by the the government about protesters in occupied countries that, you know, the U.S. military is occupying using apple cider vinegar to neutralize the tear gas and it's like written in this like one sentence way that implies that it works and that is like the closest to an official thing i've ever been able to find about it if if i'm wrong please write the show and and let me know because my goal isn't to be right my goal is to gather as my goal is to eventually be right but not to be right already (laughs) you know okay so so you can wear this like impromptu mask and another style of impromptu mask that I've actually found kind of interesting, I've been talking to a lot of folks in Portland who have been, you know, observing what's going on in the streets. And one style that some people have been doing is that they wear a a face shield, like the kind of thing you would wear at work during COVID, you know, and you just pull your hoodie up tight over it. <laughs> and and in that, in in the experience of the person I was talking to, this seems to work better than nothing and it probably would be fairly effective against pepper spray which is like a more direct thing but that person had to be one of the first people to leave the area once you know once the area is soaked in tear gas but a lot of i when i first started doing this project i was like i'm gonna find the perfect thing i'm gonna find the the gear that everyone will have that will keep everyone safe and then eventually i just like realized that 
like everything in life, it's just a series of bad choices that you can make because there's not actually a safe way to challenge the militarized police of these powerful developed nations. Um, so, okay. So the other ways that you can protect yourself that are probably a lot more effective. The the next step up is to wear a half mask with goggles. A half mask being like not a not a COVID style mask, not even the COVID style masks with the little outlet valves, which are actually bullshit for COVID and don't keep anyone around you safe. Uh, but the ones that look like respirators, the most common one is like the 3M brand respirator. It's you know covers your covers your lower lower face and has like big cartridges sticking out the side. Um, and I'm actually curious, you've been doing frontline work with COVID for the past six months or something like that. Uh, what kind of masks were folks wearing in doing the frontline work you were doing? Right. So for a, a little bit of context, um, I, I was working as an intervention worker at a, at a homeless shelter and we had moved all of our services to outside um, as soon as lockdown started. Um, and so for the past, you know, six, whatever, however many months, um, I've been wearing just a, a cloth face mask, you know, like the cloth ones that are a version of the surgical mask, mm-hmm. um, for eight hours a day at work. Uh, and at the last several demos in Montreal, that's definitely the most common thing that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I, I do have one of those little like 3M, uh, half masks and, um, I can say, you know, anecdotally, of course, mm-hmm. um, that it it provides a lot more protection than uh, even I thought it would against tear gas. Cool. Yeah, like I, you know, it's I've I've been I've been like researching these masks, but the the one time that I got tear gassed around here during any of this, I just left the area because I didn't even have a bandana on, um, and. Yeah, theoretically, a well-fitted half mask with the correct cartridges should make you functionally immune to tear gas in terms of the way, it, in terms of breathing it in. And the the correct cartridges, the two things that you're going to look for in a half mask, which is also going to be true in a civilian full face respirator, but I'll get to that. The things that you're going to look for with a half mask in your cartridges is that you need it to, most importantly, you need it to be a particulate filter. And in the U.S. And maybe in Canada, I think the UK does a different system. So I'm curious how Canada does it. But um, do you all talk about like N95 or P100 when you talk about particulate filters there? Do you have any idea? Yes. Yeah, the N95 is is really common here. Um, and I had I, I wore one of those for work mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and it was just not uh, not sustainable. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the... Uh, so particulate filters in the United States and presumably Canada come in six different types. It's two different, it's three letters, or I guess nine types. It's three letters and three numbers. They can be rated N, R, or P, and they can be rated 95, 99, or 100. And the N stands for not oil resistant. The R stands for oil resistant. And the P stands for oil proof. Basically, it just no one bothers with R. There's no point. I mean, you're pretty much everyone, as far as I can tell, everything is either an N95, which okay, and then the numbers are what percent of the particulates it's pulling out of the air. Uh, N95 is pulling out 
95% of the particulates. A N100 is pulling out 99.9% of the particulates. In Europe, the system is a is P1, P2, and P3, and that's like roughly equivalent to 95, 98, and 99, um, with P3 being the, the thing that you're looking for to pull out the most particulates. You do want, for chemical weapons, ideally you're going to want a P, a an oil-proof one, specifically because uh, chemical weapons are carried in a bunch of different ways. They're carried, tear gas tends to be pyrotechnically dispersed powder, but pepper spray, which is often the same chemicals as tear gas, is often in, in an oil-based form. And so being able to block that out. Basically, if you want to be safe from both pepper spray and tear gas, you want a P100 if at all possible. And then on top of that, you need your cartridges, your filters, whatever, to be rated for OV or organic vapors. This one, I'm not certain about. Everything that I've found from people who are at the front lines in Portland and in Hong Kong from medics there has mentioned that you're looking for OV as well as uh, P100. And so I don't have any particular reason to doubt them. I'm not entirely certain. The best I can come up with, because tear gas isn't an organic vapor, it is a, a particulate. But uh, the best I can tell is that once your particulate mask is soaked up a bunch of uh, chemical weapons it basically like might off gas a little bit of organic vapors and in that case you want that extra layer between you and it the particulate filter is usually some kind of like cotton or fiberglass or basically it's like a physical screen that just blocks out materials and the organic vapor filter is uh, activated charcoal <laughs> i've could really I, I don't even know to what detail i should be going into all of this <laughs> um i could okay and so just to finish up talking about the cartridges this is really all i've thought about for the past six weeks or something like that the particulate filters never stop being able to filter particulates they don't get used up instead they become harder and harder to breathe through as they get clogged up so a particulate filter you want to change once it becomes harder to breathe through. Unlike an organic vapor filter or any activated charcoal filter, there's a bunch of other things that activated charcoal can be used to treat, which eventually becomes less effective as it soaks up uh, vapor from the air and, you know, um, purifies it, or I don't know absorbs it so that it doesn't go into your lungs and eventually it does stop being as effective and the way to find out if your filters are being less effective is if basically once you start breathing in and smelling the chemicals that you're around protesters in portland have uh told me so most of these cartridges are rated for about eight hours of use and protesters in portland have told me that that seems to be good for between 30 to 40 hours of like demonstration if they ever even need to change it at all. I know some people who've been using the same filters for 10 years and not had any particular problems. Um, I would expect that those filters are probably much harder to breathe through, and that, of course, matters too. So, okay, so with that said, that's what you're looking for in your cartridges with a half mask. It's also what you're looking for with your cartridges with a, a full face mask. And... um. Okay, so a half mask, you have to pair it with goggles is one of the biggest downsides of a half mask. The advantage of a half, ma half mask, 
half mask with goggles. And one of the reasons that a lot of people I know prefer this, even if they have full face ma- gas masks, is that it's it's modular. Like if there's just a little bit of tear gas in the air, you can just put on your respirator and you can just like leave on your goggles all the time in case you get, you know, hit in the face with an object or something. Um, it's like easier to be low key with a half mask. It's easier to take on and off. It It's like less, it looks more civilian and so it has better optics. Um, that is one of the main advantages of a half mask. One of the main disadvantages of a half mask is that it's harder to get a good seal with your goggles against tear gas. And most people I know who use half masks with goggles basically say that like they can't stay in the thick of it because eventually it starts seeping in, not into their lungs, but into their eyes because it's really hard to seal up your goggles against it. Um, But I've never worn a half mask to a demonstration because I uh, live in the woods. Um, So that's just the, but my current guess, um, my current guess, I actually just, I've been collecting all of this gear to test and, you know, eventually hopefully disseminate. And I got on the advice of a friend who works with chemicals all day long professionally, I got one of the silicone face mask 3M half masks, which is the 750, like the 7500 version, which is like the most expensive of the three half masks. There's not a big price difference between any of the three 3M styles of half masks. And the silicone mask is so much easier to form a a seal on your face that I actually think you'd be able to get away with having it lower on your nose and still have a good seal and therefore have a better chance with your goggles. And I haven't tested that yet. I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to test the seal on my different things, like on my goggles, I think it's going to involve like weird things like taking showers or like sticking my face over campfires or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Do you have any questions about half masks and goggles before I move on? Uh, My question is, Mm -hmm. but Margaret, what if I wear glasses? This is a very important question. And actually one of the main advantages of the half mask and goggle technique Wearing glasses is hard for protecting your face. It can be done. Well, it can be done well if you just have money and time to get nice stuff that I'll talk about too. But you can wear over the over the glasses goggles. It's OTG when you're looking at goggles. You're not going to get as good of a seal with that kind of goggle as you will with one that is not over the glasses. And so... If you're looking to stay on the move and just mostly avoid tear gas and like, you know, just be protected enough to say, return the tear gas back where it came from, because clearly someone dropped it and they obviously didn't mean to put it in a crowd full of people. That would be against the Geneva War. Um, (laughs) They clearly meant to tear gas themselves. And so you're just helping them out. So in terms of having enough protection to like do that, people have been reporting that over the goggles, over the glasses, goggles uh, do seem to be working well. I haven't. I've talked with a lot of people who wear this style of goggle, but I haven't like really talked with someone in depth about how long they're lasting. Most protesters I talk to are not looking for pure safety, which makes sense. You don't usually become yeah, like a, a demonstrator because you're trying to totally stay safe. Um, right. Okay. So that's the easiest way to do it. It's also the less, the least good way to do it. Um, you can also look for, there are versions of sports goggles you can get that are um, impact resistant, but 
most of them are not ballistically rated, and I haven't yet tested any of these against impact weapons. So I can't specifically recommend uh, sports sports goggles. Also, I'm not entirely certain how easy it is to get sports goggles that like seal up really well. Mm. The like good way to do this, the like proper way to do this, is that whatever goggle or gas mask that you go with, you end up getting it's called an RX insert for your prescription glasses. Mm. And it's just a little glasses frame without the stems that clips onto the nose area of the goggle or the the um, gas mask and you just have to get you just have to get lenses put into those which uh i think you can do online i did some research into it it was about 75 dollars, and i don't wear glasses so i didn't end up proving this but you basically there's some places where you just send them the rx insert and they put and you tell them your prescription and they send it back to you. But theoretically, any uh, optometrist or whatever, you can take the RX inserts and they will put lenses in. Um, how much does that cost? You wear glasses and I don't. Like, how much do, like, how much do you think that that would probably cost? Ooh, uh, very hard to say. I haven't even bought new glasses in a very long time. Um, and I tend to get them off those, like, kind of shitty uh, discount websites. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, I can do some research on that and report back. Okay. I'd be curious. Um, yeah, because I, I was thinking that I, oh, clearly now, now that there's like discount glasses websites, you can probably get it for like 10 bucks or something. And then I haven't yet found a discount cheap place that will let you send in your own frames and have the, the RX, the prescription lenses put into it. So that's like the proper way to do it. There are a bunch of other ways that people have done. Uh, I talked to an anarchist who used to be in the military and back when he was occupying foreign countries illegally, he, um, illegally, that word is meaningless. Back when he was occupying foreign countries, when they would have to distribute gas masks to the civilians that they were ostensibly protecting, they would basically tell people with glasses to um, cut the stems of their glasses a little bit short. And then he just used the word cement them into the, the gas mask and I don't know that that's like hot glue or, you know, what means people were using to glue them in. But I'm thinking, and I haven't yet to, I've yet to test this, but I've, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I think that there'd be a decent chance that you could bend the stems because there's also glasses that people make that are specifically designed to fit into sort of any gas mask. And what they are is that they're, um, and they're kind of expensive, but they're, they're stems that form rather than going over your ear, they like, they stop short and go down so that they push up into the rubber gasket, the seal in the gas mask. Um, and I think you could probably kind of DIY that with wire or even with the existing stems of glasses. And I have plans to collect glasses from friends and like old glasses and start playing around with this, but I haven't yet done it. So yeah. Does that answer your, your glasses question? It does. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, so the next step up from a half mask with goggles. Oh, I guess I'm, while I'm at it, I might as well finish talking about goggles because this ties into everything else. So there's three things you want out of your pair of goggles that you're wearing to a demonstration. The three things that you want, unfortunately, I have yet to find one pair of goggles that comes with all three, which is rather irritating. The three things that you want is that you want them to be unvented you want them to be impact resistant and you want them to be anti-fog 
And it's possible to take, you can make vented goggles into unvented goggles, some of them, and you can make non-antifog goggles into antifog goggles reasonably well. The one thing that you probably can't DIY is the impact resistance. So I, I've tended to focus on the impact resistance of goggles as I and glasses and face masks for respirators and things while I've been doing this research. So, but I'm going to start talking about the vented first. One of the most important things about the goggles that you want is you want them to form a seal against your face. And most goggles don't do this. Most goggles are designed to keep like dust or possibly even chemical spills out of your eyes, but not vapor. Even firefighting, like wilderness firefighting goggles, tend to use like thick open cell foam that filters the smoke and filters the air as it comes in. Because most goggles are vented because without vents, it's substantially harder to fight fog. And so for most purposes, even like lab work, you usually want vented goggles. The three styles of goggles, there's like fully vented, indirectly vented, and unvented indirectly vented seem to be the most common for our purposes which are they're designed so that if yeah like if if chemicals spill up out of the bunsen burner or whatever i clearly didn't get very far in school um (laughs) if it's you know splashes up onto your face or whatever it, it won't just go in through the big open vents and get to you so okay and the other thing is that you want the way that it forms a seal against your face to be like a rubber gasket or ideally silicone, I think you want it to be something that like really actually forms against your face instead of like using foam to sit up against your face, especially you don't want it to be open cell foam, which is what most like ski goggles and things like that are. Uh, You want it. It's possible that closed cell foam would work. I haven't actually in all the different goggles that I've gotten, I haven't found one that has closed cell foam as the seal that looks like it would actually work. So, Lab goggles, however, tend to be a rubber gasket. There's also swim goggles. And then here's the... Have you heard this thing about why you shouldn't wear swim goggles to protests? I have not. Okay. There's this rumor based in truthiness about swim goggles and why you should never wear them to demonstrations. Uh, Because in some ways, swim goggles are so great because they are unvented as hell. And they would actually form a good seal above a half-mask respirator because they're so small. The thing that people don't like about them is that because they sit on your face through suction, it forms like positive or negative pressure on your face if you hit them very suddenly. It first forms positive pressure. Oh, this is not going anywhere good. Yeah. So there's this rumor that I've read a bunch of medical research about and talked to some doctors about. By some, I mean literally one. I talked to one anarchist doctor about this uh, (laughs) who does not like specialize in swimwear or anything like that. Right. Got to get more of those anarchist swimwear doctors. You know, I there's probably one out there somewhere. And if you're listening to this, please, please get in touch. I want to know more about this. So if you get hit in the, if, if you get hit in the eye, there's, it is definitely true that people have had like bruising and damage to their eyes and like broken blood vessels and stuff in their eyes while wearing swim goggles and suffering impact. Ostensibly, this is why you don't wear swim goggles during water polo. But I found a lot of people saying that. And no documentation as to why that 
as to that actually being the case. I also haven't found much documentation about people like actually losing their eye or something like that. Like people conjecture either your eye would be crushed on with the positive pressure when you get hit, or it would be sucked out of your eye, your skull with the negative pressure. And so I asked, you know, I asked my doctor friend, I was like, well, is this possible? My, my doctor friend is very good at not lying in any circumstance, thought about it for a while. and went, Maybe, <laughs> you know, it might be possible that if you were to be impacted really hard in the eye while wearing swim goggles, that your eye would pop out of your skull. It seems unlikely. It's definitely possible. As my doctor friend pointed out, it is substantially better than what would happen to you if you were not wearing the goggles. And, and that's one of the things I, I realized I had to think about with goggles. Like Much like masks, I started off this research being like, I'm going to find the perfect pair of goggles. And every time I thought I would find the perfect pair of goggles, I'd like buy a pair and try them out and be like, these are not the perfect pair of goggles. And everything is about, you know, um, it's the most overused phrase in the world, um, risk. How do I forget the most overused phrase in the world? Tolerance? The mitigation, the thing that... Harm reduction. Um, <laughs> if you're going to get hit in the face, you want to get hit in the face as safely as possible. It is much better to not get hit in the face. So, okay, so that's why people don't wear swim goggles. But one of the systems that someone came up with who's been wearing them in Portland, I've been talking to, and hasn't has yet to be hit in the face with anything, they've been wearing swim goggles under vented ballistic goggles. Basically using, and then that way they can pair it with their half mask and be like, good. Um, because their ballistic, the ballistic protection on the, the main goggles keeps out the impact weapons. The swim goggles keep out the chemical weapons. And it still forms a seal over the half mask. It's a lot What's of, the visibility like on that? I think, so swim goggles in general have kind of shitty visibility as far as I can tell. And by that, I mean, I've bought a couple pairs and put them on and walked around in the very humid South where I live and like, let them fog up. Um, you lose some peripheral vision with swim goggles and you also fully vented goggles do fog faster. Um, but with some anti-fog stuff, you can protect yourself against that. So I don't know if it would be substantially worse you know, the two pair of goggles. I don't know whether that would make it worse or not. Uh, I, I have yet to try it. I actually should try that out. All of my impact resistant goggles have been destroyed at this point in my testing. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause they do have upper limits. So, okay. So that's vented. Okay. So then what matters after that for your goggles is, Oh my God, I've been talking for half an hour already and I'm still on goggles. Um, <laughs> Impact resistance. This is my favorite part because it's the part where it involves shooting things with shotguns to find out if they work. Um, actually, that's not even true. Like it was kind of fun. I did a do a bunch. Of, I did do a bunch of testing. But I'm anytime you watch YouTube videos of people testing like weapons versus armor, whether it's like clearly everyone in the audience has spent a lot of time watching different English longbowmen with 115 pound draw bows or 150 pound draw bows shooting different breastplates. I mean, who hasn't? Yeah, exactly. And you can tell like half those videos, longbow versus breastplate, um, half those videos, you can tell they're, they're cheering for the breastplate and they want it to work. <laughs> and the other half of the time they're cheering for the arrow and they want it to work, you know? Um, and I, I am a pro armor person. I am always rooting for the armor and not the destruction of the armor. 
And it's true when I watch those videos and it's true when I'm, when I'm testing this stuff, I want all of the goggles to defend themselves against all of these different things. Okay. So that's really uh, says a lot about you as a person. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the short of it with impact resistance is as far as I can tell, all polycarbonate impact resistant lenses are basically the same fucking thing. Uh, I've tested a bunch of really cheap and I haven't tested crazy high end stuff, but I've watched videos of it and it is all reacting the same as what I'm doing. Um, if you're, if the lenses that, if the, if the goggles or gas mask that you're looking to at is specifically says like shatterproof or impact resistance to the ANSI seven, eight, seven, eight, Z eight, seven point one plus, uh, rating, or ideally is ballistically rated to a military specification or uses the European. There's so many different specifications. I probably actually shouldn't ramble about them on this particular podcast. If you ever want to know, I will do a whole podcast just about the different jewels of force and the uh, velocity drop of different projectiles and how everything's tested. But the short of it is I have tested with a bunch of different impact weapons, a bunch of different goggles and masks, and I have found that unrated but labeled as shatterproof goggles with polycarbonate lenses behaved exactly the same as impact resistant, like civilian rated um, protection and has performed exactly the same as the military specification. And the test that I did involved shooting it with first a BB gun, which absolutely destroyed everything that was not shatterproof, which is incredibly bad. This BB gun doesn't even penetrate an umbrella. Um, <laughs> and, you know, doesn't even really hurt you if it hits you. It's going at about 260 feet per second. It's a, oh, right. I said I wasn't going to get into the numbers of it. And then I shot it with like a hunting pellet gun. And the hunting pellet gun is designed to, you know, kill small animals. And it did not successfully penetrate any of the polycarbonate. Some of the some of the pellets get stuck in the polycarbonate and all of them dent it very severely. And if you shoot the same area several times, it'll start to crack. And then I shot it with rubber buckshot out of a 12-gauge shotgun. And then I shot it with a larger gauge rubber ball out of a 12-gauge shotgun. This is the closest I can come personally to replicating the effects of uh, a baton round. And it's a fairly similar amount of force, but it's... God, ballistics is so complicated. I didn't know anything about ballistics six weeks ago and spent a lot of time with radical engineers yelling at me for my complete thick-headedness about all of this. In the end, it didn't even matter. It's all the goddamn same. Polycarbonate lenses are all made out of polycarbonate and polycarbonate acts the same when you shoot it with stuff. So You tried so hard and you got so far, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so this brings me to the point of why, unfortunately, surplus gas masks are just not as good as most other things you can wear. Surplus gas masks are super cool looking and like they're super cheap and they're actually, you know, your best bet if you suddenly think that we're going to be in a nuclear war. And fortunately that's like still not actually on my 2020 bingo card. Um, but these gas masks tend to not even have shatterproof lenses. They probably never wore polycarbonate, most of them. And specifically, with age, polycarbonate and other plastics become more brittle. 
and a uh, a National Geographic film uh, filmographer named Trip Jennings in Portland a couple months ago almost lost his eye when he was shot with a an FN three hundred three pellet, an air gun pellet full of heavy metal, um, like bismuth, which is like fake lead. Uh, it's not actually fake lead; it's his own element. And it deserves, <laughs> deserves better than that. Um, Respect bismuth. Come on, Margaret. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he was shot in the face with uh, with an FN three hundred three pellet, which has killed people before. It killed a, a woman who wasn't even the one that the cop was aiming at in Boston in two thousand five. Uh, even though it's just shot out of a a paintball gun, essentially. Um, and it just the this pellet just shattered the lenses on his um i believe it was a check i don't remember the number but a, a check surplus gas mask and it just broke it and shards of the plastic cut his eye and he almost lost his eye and in my test i took what is supposedly a impact rated it might be that only the new israeli gas masks are impact rated but i took my israeli gas mask and it shattered with the first bb um which only it and terrible cheap lab goggles are the only things that have broken from a bb so (laughs) so that's why surplus gas masks are not as cool as they could be they're still pretty good against gas and still in general the general rule is try not to get shot in the face um which leads me to the full face gas masks that i do recommend which are the civilian style respirators which at the beginning of all of this research i was convinced that the civilian masks were going to be terrible because they weren't impact rated to the same level because they're like cheaper because they're not like cool tactical stuff i mean obviously i don't care about that kind of thing but um specifically yeah no totally i'm I'm certainly above anything like looking cool or whatever um and said the person who painted their house black. Um, I'm not even going to touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> so civilian full face gas masks, the like the kind of standard that everything is compared against are the 3M masks again, uh, specifically the, the 6800 or the 6700 or is the different numbers, the different sizes of the masks. These things are not named in a way that is easy to make sense of. Um, and... A 3M6800 will set you back about uh, $150. However, the Chinese import clones of the 6800 and a bunch of other 3M masks are like $40. And I really expected them to be much worse than the 3M mask. But uh, they performed just as well, which is to say that a shotgun destroys all of them. But a shotgun destroys all of them in such a way where the baton rounds don't actually shatter and like break the the plastic visor. They just, I mean, they do break the plastic visor, but they don't break through the plastic visor and they don't send shards everywhere. Um, getting hit in the face of the baton round with even ballistic goggles or whatever, you're probably losing your goggles, but it's better to lose your goggles than your eyes. And so specifically I tested and I'll, I'll put links or something in the show notes. Uh, I, I'm going to say that now and then I'll probably forget and, um, I haven't actually really done show notes for these shows before. Um, the JJKK and the HAOX model uh, brand clones that are like $30 to $40 on Amazon, at least in the US, 
they come with cartridges. They come with N95 cartridges, so you might want to step it up to a P100. But if you just want to drop $40 and have a perfectly functioning gas mask, these are the way to go. Um, as far as I can tell, there might be huge disadvantages, but I, I, uh, I tried on, you know, all three and then I destroyed all three and they're really, really similar. Do you have any questions about gas masks? Um, I mean, I have one totally not serious question, Mm -hmm. uh, or suggestion, which is that in the like Mythbusters style episode of this, Mm -hmm. um, you also test the glass by, you know, putting a diamond on it and then hitting it with something. Cause that always looks really cool when they do it in, in movies. Um, (laughs) and also means that you have a diamond, which is useful. Um, the other question is not specifically about uh, goggles and gas masks, um, but it's you're using this phrase baton round, which mm-hmm. isn't actually one that I'm super familiar with. Mm. So can you explain what that is? Yeah, totally. I I have this like knee jerk thing where I've become a pedant about chemical weapons and impact weapons because I've been like reading about them for six weeks. And so from my point of view, rubber bullet is a, uh, is like the wrong word. Um, in my point of view, rubber bullet is a very specific thing that are really, really rarely used. Uh, a rubber bullet would be one of two different specific things from my point of view. And I, I'm not actually trying to like tell the world to stop using the word phrase rubber bullet to describe the various things they hit us with. But a rubber bullet is either literally a bullet made out of rubber that's like fired out of a traditional handgun. Um, and those exist and they're awful. Or this other thing that's also awful, which is... Um, a rubber ball but not like so there's actually there's a different impact weapon that are specifically rubber balls uh sometimes they're called stinger balls or a bunch of other things but the the rubber bullet as was developed i think primarily like the the main places i've read reports about the lethality and stuff of rubber bullets comes out of northern ireland from the colonial force of the uk and from um palestine out of the you know colonial force of Israel. Um, and rubber bullets kill the hell out of a ton of people. Most of them are basically rubber coated steel balls and mm. that they shoot. And they actually fell out of favor, at least in Northern Ireland. I haven't talked with um, folks in Israel or Palestine about uh, how much they're currently used there. Um, they fell out of favor and in, in favor of plastic bullets instead at some point, I believe at the end of the 80s, but I could be wrong about that, pretty much because the rubber bullets were killing so many people and they wanted to kill people, but they wanted to kill like kind of fewer people, you know? And also they, because they're like literally a steel ball coated in rubber, they bounce a lot. Well, actually there's two different ways they're made. They're either a steel ball coated in rubber or they are a, uh, basically like uh, homogenous, uh, there's a science word I'm missing here. Rubber and sand, rubber and silica mixed up, but like, like melted together, you know, like, a, like, it's not like, it's not like you break it open and there's little pieces of, of silica. It's like, like an alloy, you know? Yeah. Um, a, a word that isn't the right word. Yeah. And so those are rubber bullets from my point of view. And because I was just like deep diving into the history of, you know, police impact weapons and also because it they really throw off the uh the lethality reports there's you know there's a study that says that three percent of people who are injured not hit with but injured by uh 
police impact munitions die. And that study is incredibly heavily skewed by the use of rubber bullets. I am not currently aware of rubber bullets in use by police in the U.S., However, because they can be fired out of air guns, like 68 caliber paintball guns, basically, I don't know one way or the other about whether the fash are shooting them. Um, I know that the fash are at least shooting like rubber balls. And I don't know whether they're shooting the ones that are like self-defense rounds that are like rubber coated steel balls, which you can buy as a civilian in the United States. And just, I mean, it's not legal to shoot people with them. It's assault, but you know, um, so a baton round, to answer your question five minutes later, is a impact weapon that is usually fired from a thirty-eight or forty caliber grenade launcher or or multi-launcher, as they like to call them, because they fire things like baton rounds, um, but they're the same thing functionally as a grenade launcher or a 12-gauge shotgun. And baton rounds are basically, they're usually made out of well, they're made out of tons of different stuff. Some of them are wooden dowels. Uh, those are becoming less less common. Some of them, there's this whole arms race by less lethal manufacturers to create the perfect thing that hurts real bad at all ranges but doesn't kill anyone. And currently the winner of that are gel rounds, which is like a gel baton that hits you. It's like a, it's, I think the back of it is plastic and then it, uh, it's fired out of a a canister and those are meant to be directly fired at people. Whereas the wooden baton rounds are generally meant to be called skip fired where you shoot them at the ground and then they bounce up uncontrollably. Um, none of these things are intended to, by the manufacturers to be aimed above anyone's waist or above anyone's belly button specifically. They're usually aimed to be fired at the abdomen or the legs or possibly the limbs. And they're basically meant to like hurt you as bad as possible without causing permanent injury or killing you. They do kill people and they permanently injure people all the time, especially when people fire, when cops fire them at people's heads, which they do all the time. And they're also not meant to be used outside of certain ranges. There's like a minimum safe range and they fire them within that range all the time. And I think that's part of why less lethal manufacturers are so excited to try and make ones that you can fire at any range. What were you going to say? Right. Oh, uh, you know, I'm not going to get up on my my soapbox about this, but the idea of being a weapons manufacturer, uh, thinking that you're doing good in the world by making <laughs> like less lethals that are going to hurt a little bit less. Like if the cops promise to use them properly is just fucking absurd. <laughs> well, so I, I uh, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, please go on. Go on. Well, so I've, I've discovered this weird split in like police technology manufacturers or like police police equipment manufacturers there's this split happening increasingly right now between the people who are like you know fuck yeah militarized cops get those commies uh which is most of the people who you'd buy like ballistic armor from or you know unfortunately um and then there's the people who are like believe in uh like like taser makes t-shirts that say things like like their employees wear t-shirts that says something like making bullets obsolete because i I if somebody can get me one of those shirts uh (laughs) i will love you forever someone please get jack that shirt 
Um, <laughs> and, and so there's this like whole split, like the biggest manufacturer, I believe the biggest, the one that I've certainly seen the most uh, spent shell casings from Oh no, I'm going to forget the names of these things. The the head company has this horrible racist name Safari Land. It's literally named because the founder was like liked making. I think he started making holsters in his garage in the 60s or whatever because his with his father or maybe for his father or something and they they all liked their African safaris or whatever. Um and so that's like the person who the who started the company that um I believe Defense Technologies is the name of the subsidiary company that as of this year has split off and become its own thing because what happened is Safari couldn't stand the heat and was like either as a PR move or out of actual ethical concern when they were watching their weapons be used against refugees at the border, you know, wildly illegally or whatever. Um, They probably care more about legality than I do specifically, but it's still, you know, worth thinking about. Um, they um they they were like we we want to distance ourselves and so what they do i mean they make bulletproof vests for the for cops like they're they're a cop manufacturer right but their whole thing is that they like to focus on all of the lives that they save through armor and so they've been distancing themselves more and more from these other things so it's baffling yeah there's this this split i mean whatever like fuck them all but it's like it's interesting to think about the divisions amongst their ranks or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's dark. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's. I think that's like. Oh, okay. And if you to to just jump around wildly, if you do end up with a military style gas mask. Military style gas masks use different styles of cartridges than civilian ones. If you end up with a civilian style mask. Not all of them use the 3M style cartridges. Every company, except the Chinese uh, clones, which tend to use, I believe, usually the th- both both models I got use the 3M style. They all have different proprietary attachment systems for their filters, and so you're going to need to make sure that your filters match the the ones that work for your mask. Um, and specifically in the United States and probably Canada, but not the UK and not Hong Kong, you can get 3M specimens has a difference between cartridges and filters. The cartridge is the part full of charcoal that filters out vapors and the, the filter is what filters out particulates. And so they sell combined cartridges and that's the easiest thing to do is to get a combined cartridge. The 60921, 60923, and 60926, I believe, are the, the three styles that do both organic vapors and particulates. The the two six is the like one that does lots and lots of stuff. And they're all the same price, so you might as well get the one that does lots and lots of stuff. Um and those have the two parts combined. But in some countries you can't get them combined and you have to combine them yourselves. And that can be done with a bunch of different products. There's two ways of doing it. One of them, and I'm going to get the two of these mixed up, uh, unfortunately, because one, one of them is called the 501 and one of them is called the 502 because 3M is like, I mean, with a company name like 3M, of course they're just going to name everything a bunch of gibberish. Um, but basically one of them snaps on and holds a cloth filter and 
one of them snaps on and lets you attach a second filter. Like it's another attachment point. And so you can attach a P100 like a, on its own to your OV cartridge. Um, and so that's what uh, demonstrators in Hong Kong have generally had to do. And I believe it's what folks in the UK are doing. And uh, I'd be curious if you're listening to this some other part in the world. I would love to geek out about what um, systems are available to defend yourself against tear gas whatever country you're in. And I've also talked to one protester who prefers that method because it allows them to change out the filter without taking off the mask um, because they can leave on just the organic vapor cartridge while they change out the particulate filter. However, since it seems like particulate filters don't need to be changed out more than like once every several days of like pretty intense use, it seems like not as much of a huge issue but if you have a different experience please let me know i am literally just a person collecting and disseminating information i am not the expert you know i'm not the person out there doing it you know um so with a military style filter you the most of them are 40 millimeter nato standard or stanag s-t-a-n-a-g um filters and this these screw in instead of like kind of like snapping on with a bayonet style attachment point uh like the 3m ones do and these ones yeah they screw in and they tend to be rated for the two styles that you can get of these that do you any good in a protest one is you can get them that are specifically for riots uh, this is what the police generally have. As far as I can tell, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos of like, there's like a YouTube cop who like probably doesn't realize that, you know, whatever, a lot of people who don't approve of his profession are also watching. Uh, Shh, don't let them hear you say that. I know. Well, don't worry. They, no, <laughs> none of the enemy listens to my podcast. So, <laughs> um, no one's listening to this to determine what we do. Um, God, what a dark thought. I still think it's probably in our next episode. <laughs> misdirection. <laughs> um, so there's ones that are specifically for riot agents and particulates, and they are they say like CSCN and P100 on them, and CS and CN are the two most common tear gas agents. Actually, CS and OC, which is like pepper spray, are the two most common, but. More traditionally, it's CS and, and CN. In my like tear gas episode, I'll, I'll talk about all of that. Um, and they, um, and it's almost impossible to get these, and they're overly expensive, and there's no real point in getting them because what you can get that works for our purposes very well are expired but unopened CBRM CBRN filters. Most gas mask filters are CBRN filters, which is basically the like everything filter it stands for chemical radiological biological nuclear um i might have had the order of those letters mixed up i don't know someone will yell at me uh, if enough people that's the great thing is like as more people listen to this podcast more people can like yell at me about getting things wrong and i'll like both appreciate them telling me but also kind of not appreciate them telling me um and what we've learned from anarchists and other comrades who used to be in the military is that an expired filter is still perfectly good against tear gas because if it's unopened, because the 
activate charcoal has not been used up by humidity. One of the things that's annoying is that once you open your activated charcoal filter, it's going to slowly degrade just from the humidity of the area that you're in, which is why you should put them in Ziploc bags when you're done. Um, but, uh, and the particular filter never gets used up. So all of the time, the army sends people into the tear gas chamber using um, expired tear gas, uh, expired cartridges and expired cartridges are pretty cheap on like ebay and it's also what's going to come with your surplus gas mask is almost certainly an expired but unopened cartridge if you want for like prepping sake to keep one around that actually defends you against biological threats and nuclear threats and radiological threats i don't know the difference between nuclear and radiological are but whatever um i haven't finished that part of any of this research yet uh you're going to want to keep one around that's like new and unexpired but for the purpose of protests, um, these will do you some good. And there are, and there are, again, there's like different styles. Like there's this one that some people like, which is uh, an in the cheek filter. Um, there's a couple different styles of gas masks, including an old U S one and an old Czech one that have these in the cheek filters that are, the filters are inside the gas mask. One, uh, protester I talked to prefers this kind of gas mask because it cops have been grabbing people by the cartridges and it's, probably a fairly effective way to control someone's face to be real and like head, you know, um, especially the military style cartridges are kind of gigantic. Um, and so these in the cheek ones can't be grabbed onto. On the other hand, you cannot change them in the field because you have to take off the gas mask to do so. And on older masks, the rubber is like pretty, um, fragile. And there's a lot of videos of people like trying to change these filters and having them rip. So from that point of view, I probably like, I'm not interested in getting one of these, but I can see the advantage in certain circumstances. Um, and then the other, the like super fancy one that the current U.S. military has, and I believe probably most cops in the field have, uh, is it the M10? I don't remember the numbers of gas masks well enough off the top of my head. But the current U.S. issue gas mask has a different style of filter, the not the NATO standard. And it's specifically, it's designed so that you can take it off and replace it without leaving the area. Um, it seals itself basically like when it's, when you take it out, which is actually really clever. Um, and if they were like cheap and easy to come by, probably be a really nice mask. And for all my shit talking on surplus gas masks, I believe some modern military style gas masks, but I don't know which have impact resistant, like polycarbonate, uh, eyepieces. It's, really hard to know what you're buying when you buy surplus. Um, and also sur certain surplus masks, the military, what it generally has done in different countries is rather than have like impact realist resistant lenses, it's had specific ballistic outserts, which is, had you ever heard this word outsert? Uh, I have not heard it, but it, it makes sense given that we have the word insert. Yeah, exactly. An, an outsert is, it, it goes on the outside of the, the thing and sticks in instead of the inside of the thing. Um, and they make ballistic outserts for a lot of different gas masks. They're kind of hard to come by for most gas masks. Some of them seem to be have a healthy eBay market for the ballistic outserts. But I don't actually know how long, how well they hold up. Um, I'm waiting for some that I ordered uh, for some Russian style masks to come so I can shoot them and find out and then be really sad when they break because I waited months for these masks. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I really am on the armor side. Um, 
things fall apart, you know? Yeah, that's true. Especially in my hands. <laughs> so I have notes about talking about like ballistic protection and helmets and stuff like that. But I have a feeling that uh, this is probably long enough. <laughs> like We uh, we have gone on. Um, yeah. I do have one question yeah, for course. you, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, so say I wanted to get my hands on some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the the best and or like safest and or least sketchy way to do that? That is a very good question. Um, so none of these things are illegal in the United States. Uh, all of them have been used whenever like they arrest protesters. They always like grab all the protesters gear and then put it on display and be like, look, we caught these terrible anarchists who are defending themselves against like weapons you know um and so gas masks definitely up your sketchiness when you're seen with them i mean i remember walking to a demonstration wearing a half mask respirator just literally only wearing because i am terrified of covid and a cop like circled me i was alone walking towards demonstration because i'm a very intelligent person and circled me and was like oh you're you're looking for trouble aren't you and uh And like, no, I actually, Thanks, specific- Dad. yeah, exactly. I was actually specifically to avoid getting in trouble if you decided to shoot chemicals at me, but you know, whatever. Um, also there's a fucking pandemic. Um, oh, this is actually a, a total aside. None of these things will protect the people around you from COVID. Uh, these are worse than a cloth mask when it comes to protecting other people from COVID for protecting yourself from COVID. They are substantially better than anything else you can do. Um, like as far as I can tell, a half mask respirator is like bulletproof in terms of COVID protection with a P100 filter on it. Um, but because your, your, your exhale is not filtered, you still put out all the aerosol terror. Um, some people in Portland have talked about, uh, hanging like, uh, cloth masks, like kind of off their respirators. I've tried this and I have not yet really found a very good way to do it, um, but anyway, so ways to acquire this stuff. So military surplus manufacturers, at least in the United States, tend to be very heavily bootlicker. And like literally one of the places that I get my gear from, I got a Labor Day sale. Use the code TRUMP2020 at checkout. Um, and they like mostly sell stuff to cops, right? And lots and lots of places will literally take a portion of what the money you give them and turn around and give it to the police. And that is like not my favorite thing because uh, I, I have negative feelings about the role of policing in our society. I don't know if you knew that about me. Do you? Yeah. Um, like sometimes, wow. sometimes I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm here under false pretenses. Maybe. <laughs> Yikes. Um. Pers- I mean, actually, that joke, mm-hmm. I don't want to no, scratch that joke from the record because that makes me sound like I'm pro-cop. Um, <laughs> so I would just just take that one out of the podcast, you know? <laughs> Go on. Okay. Um, so uh, personally, a lot of the gear that I buy, I if I'm buying it from any place that isn't just like a bulk manufacturer, I don't give them the address that I live at because... And I'm, I'm willing to go to a P.O. box or, or wherever else to go pick it up just because um, I don't trust that these people aren't working with now that 
now that fascists in the state are really going hand in hand and now that there's like a a war against antifa or whatever um i i i don't know i don't know what most of these places would do um however and also like for example even while trying to do this research about gas masks i I was on the the subreddit for gas masks which i do not recommend called our gas masks and i tried asking about the impact resistance of various uh various gas gas surplus gas masks because i thought these are all a bunch of gas mask nerds they're all like larper type people whatever like they'll probably be fine with it you know and all of them instead of answering my question were just like why do you want to know margaret and you've probably had the experience of like despite not being a girl being a being perceived as a girl on the internet sometimes you know um oh you know maybe once or twice yeah i it's real fun to be like perceived as a girl on the internet for me it's like funny because if you motherfuckers met me in real life you would like you know use different negative words for me but um you know whenever someone's like why do you want to know margaret you're like oh okay it's like when people use your own name as a diminutive to like talk down to you Mm -hmm. that never happened when i used a boy's name you'll be shocked to know um and it's kind of a like oh you know my boyfriend is in the band moment (laughs) um so they were not helpful uh they they suggested that i uh not aggravate the police um and great yeah great which i find is like the best way to deal with uh people who are repressing me is to just let them repress me wait no that doesn't make any sense um But, you know, whatever. So I don't recommend our gas masks uh, for anything other than lurking. And you can get a lot of this stuff on eBay. You can get a lot of this stuff on Amazon. Obviously, both of those are like, you know, not the most ethical consumption under capitalism that you can get away with. Um, but and then with with eBay, you can just like kind of get a sense of the, the vendor. Uh, I actually kind of think ironic to 20 years ago when I was, you know, part of the anti-globalization movement um i actually think that possibly one of the most ethical ways to get some of this material right now is chinese surplus uh or not chinese surplus um chinese um clones um because they're you know it's like f- for 30 dollars you can get the same you can get the same mask as a 150 dollars mask so then you can get five people masks instead of just one and it's possible to probably do some kind of like bulk ordering um I think, you know, through AliExpress or something like that. One of the other things that's hard to get any of this quickly. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're buying import masks on Amazon, they'll take a long time. If you're buying U.S. masks, sometimes it'll take a long time because of COVID. Um, and I mean, I guess if you like, I don't know, Canada's. Do you have gun shows up there? I feel like it, is that an American thing? No, we definitely have those. Okay. So I feel like, you know, like if you want to buy something like sort of anonymously or whatever from horrible people, most of the time, probably you could go to a gun show during COVID. I was no way I would go anywhere near a gun show. Um, Right. I was going to make a muscle joke, but uh, you know, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to (laughs) bother. Yeah. I, you know, so I've sourced from a bunch of different places and so even 3M, right, which is like cornered the market on civilian PPE, uh, they do arms manufacturing, uh, or at least armor for the military. Uh, I think they might even be 
someone will, I, I might, I might have this particular detail wrong. I think they might be the manufacturers of the current military helmet or like one of the main current military, uh, you know, various types of gear in the United States. So it's not like they're like great people either. Um, you kind of can't get most of this stuff from like great people in terms of goggles. You can get a lot from like safety equipment type places. The more civilian you're looking for, the more you can find a place that like fo- focuses on the workplace. And those places are probably more chill. Right. That makes sense. So you have a, you have a sense of what you would want if you uh, were to, to go out and, peacefully voice your concern about the direction that your country is going, that it is never, it's completely unprecedented. Canada has always been a beacon of freedom and liberty and not colonization, but yet has become slightly worse very recently. I mean, that doesn't even sound like a real thing, you know, (laughs) it's, there's, everything is fine. This is fine. Yeah. Um, No, for real though. I, uh, this is really useful information. I have no head whatsoever for numbers, um, so I couldn't even repeat back to you uh, the things that you've said yeah. that are on my list. <laughs> um, but uh, this is, it's helpful. Cool. I guess I should do, I bet I'll put at the beginning a like a summary that is like, I'm going to do this summary right now and then put it at the beginning or leave it here <laughs> at the end. And maybe you're hearing this at the end instead, because I am lazy. If you want to go out to a demonstration and you want to protect yourself from chemical weapons, your options are a wet bandana, a half mask with goggles, and in which case you want your goggles to be impact resistant, unvented, and anti-fog. Oh, I haven't talked about those two things. I'm sorry. I've done you all a terrible disservice. So you can unvent your goggles. If you get indirectly vented goggles, you can either use duct tape, which will get kind of gross after a couple exposures to chemical weapons, or you can use hot glue which will kind of also eventually eventually kind of crack off. But I'm going to try different epoxies too. But those are the two classic methods people use to block the vents of your goggles. And that is a fairly effective technique. Then there's anti-fog. And anti-fog comes in one of three ways. It's either coming directly from the vents, which of course it will not in this case. Then the, the much rarer but very nice style is called uh, thermal antifog. It's thermal goggles. And what that is, is a, there's a thermal break between two sets of lenses. Basically, it's like a double pane window, but for your eyes. And these, unfortunately, usually have open cell foam between them. But I believe I have a pair that I've sealed up with hot glue. And I haven't specifically like tried to fill them up with fog or you know tear gas but seems very likely to work. This is like the gold standard for anti-fog because it uh, it's just substantially more effective. I live in a very hot, humid area and even like normal anti-fog goggles just fog up right away. Um, whereas I can wear the thermal goggles I have all day and they don't. And then there's anti-fog coating and that'll often come on different goggles. Most goggles that say they're anti-fog will be have an anti-fog coating. And this is basically a hydrophobic layer of like oil or whatever that, sheds water so that um, fog doesn't form on the on the inside surface of the glasses and um, it will not last no matter what the manufacturer claims they're, they're always like this one's permanently bonded and maybe that's a little bit better but it will eventually stop working um, I talked to a 
an anarchist long-distance ocean swimmer. I do love that there's the anarchist version of everything. I talked to an anarchist long-distance ocean swimmer about this, and they recommend that the two methods that people talk about the most are using spit and using baby shampoo. And a lot of swimmers just literally just like spit in their goggles and rub it around and then put it on their face. And that actually works, but it tends to work for like five to 15 minutes or something like that of like deep sea ocean swimming. And as compared to uh, baby shampoo, which will last like about a half an hour, 45 minutes, according to my friend. Um, and then there's also like really fancy methods of doing it that uh, protesters in Portland have come up with that I'm not going to go over here right now, but are included in an article that Crime Think released a little bit ago called Gas Masks and Goggles or a demonstrator's guide to gas masks and goggles. And it includes the recipe that comes from Portland folks about how to basically do this weird thing with baby shampoo and sugar and a bunch of other stuff. And I am planning on testing all of these things and seeing whether they like actually make any difference. Um, Cause I have no idea. I literally, I'd give it 50, 50 um, cynically that it's any better than just using baby shampoo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So to recap, you can wear a wet bandana and get the hell out of there. You can wear a half mask with goggles and you might be able to get the, and you'll probably have enough protection to like return to sender. If you want to stand around in the thick of it, you're going to want a full face respirator, a military style one. If you manage to get a new one, which would be very pricey, will often have really cool features uh, like a drinking straw and maybe the ability to hook up comms and also a, a speech diaphragm. I didn't talk about this, but like if you wear a mask, it's hard to talk. It's hard for anyone to hear you. But ones with a speech diaphragm basically have like a it's almost like a passive speaker, you know, a, a little piece of, uh, I think rubber probably that, that vibrates when you talk and like helps you talk, helps you be heard. Um, some of the civilian ones, including actually the, um, one of the two Chinese import ones that I looked at, those like $40 also have this, or you can wear a civilian style one. And the problem with the military style ones is that the surplus ones will have, uh, are much more likely to be broken and much more likely to break. And the new ones, military ones, are very expensive. Civilian respirators are cheaper. And then if you get uh, import ones, they're even cheaper still. That's the summary that will either be at the beginning or the end. Or maybe I'll do some clever thing and it'll be in both places. And it'll seem like a callback joke because I am a good podcaster and you have been entertained and not bored by someone rambling about numbers and goggles. No, I'm here to prevent the rambling. So, oh. you know, this is a ramble-free uh, podcast episode. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, I have a scheme. Okay, what's your scheme? Hear me out on this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anarchist, riot gear, paper dolls? Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the scheme. Oh, just like because they're cool? It'd be like fun? Yeah. Okay. I'm into that. Yeah. Okay. All right. We need to find cool. an illustrator. All if right. you are an illustrator, <laughs> yeah, hit us up. Yeah, or just make them. Um, yeah, make them. You don't need us. Yeah, but probably they should be. Time. It should be me and Jack should be the dolls. Absolutely, hit us up if you want to make <laughs> riot gear paper dolls of us. Yeah, because <laughs> it'll make us seem way cooler than we are. <laughs> that's what we're doing this for, right? I think the, so. The yeah, yeah. That, that's why I do it. Um, that's why I didn't do it for six months. I started a podcast about the end of the world and then I didn't podcast because it was too end of the world for me. 
I mean, you got preempted, it's which, true. which like happens. It's true. Um, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Any, any, any last words or questions? That's it for me. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to Live Like the World is Dying. And I think that episodes will hopefully start coming out a little bit more regularly because I have lots of information in my brain that I need to spew out. And also I've been looking to find more people to talk to about stuff. And hopefully, yeah, well, I'll talk to you all soon. Theme music goes here. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the the kind support of my Patreon backers. And in particular, I would like to thank Chris and Nora and Haas the dog and Kirk and Willow and Natalie and Sam, Christopher, Shane, The Compound, and M. Your financial support has meant literally the world to me during during these times, and I'm very grateful. And I'm very grateful for you all to listen. And please subscribe, tell your friends, do all of those things that help put this in front of more people's eyes because it's, well, I guess if you listen to this far, you probably don't think it's a terrible podcast and it, it helps. All right. Thanks so much. And I'll be back sooner than a week, probably with more new episodes.